What's up, guys? Welcome to the Smoking Tire Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Off the Record. You know Off the Record. I talk about them every single week. They're here to get points off your record. Whether you rolled through a stop sign, did a little bit of speeding, all the way up to the big stuff, we're here for that. We are here to help. Off the Record is here to help. Basically, they make it easy to access the systems that get points off of your record. No going to court. No talking to the prosecutor, no standing in front of a judge. Just go to offtherecord.com slash TST, send them a photo or a scan of your ticket, and they will handle the rest. Their coverage is a huge portion of the U.S., well over 90%. It's almost guaranteed Off the Record can represent you, arranging for an attorney in the jurisdiction you got pulled over for to go to court on your behalf. They can even help open closed cases. A friend of mine had a, had points on his record from cases that were already closed and off the record got those cases reopened and in some cases got the points dismissed. It really helped my friend get insurance when he was having a hard time getting car insurance because of this stuff and off the record help. So go to offtherecord.com slash TST or download the off the record app and use code TST10 for 10% off all legal services with off the record. All right, folks, on this episode, I sit down in an awkwardly large ballroom with uh, CEO of McLaren of the Americas, Nick Brown. This guy is great. He's a young dude, super smart, very enthusiastic about cars. But uh, we talk about the business of building supercars, some of the challenges, some of the things that make it really cool. We talk about how uh, Nick ended up in the job he's in, which is one of the most powerful people and one of the coolest car companies out there. Uh, Some of the challenges that they face with electrification, hybridization, etc. And uh, it's a great show. It's a great little show from Pebble Beach, from an awkward little ballroom. It's me and Nick Brown, uh, the CEO of McLaren of the Americas on the Smoking Tire Podcast. Thank you for having me at at your Pebble Beach shindig. It's very nice of you guys. I'm really enjoying my 720 press car. Thanks for joining. Yeah. And tomorrow we get to find out what the waiting depth of it is as they try to pull into a hurricane. <laughs> yes. <laughs> is there a deep water test involved in the development of the 720 Spider? We, we do the monsoon testing. I, I, I don't know if we've done the underwater well, testing. Well, a British car should be able to handle water. It should. Like better than my California house probably, it right? Should. It should. Yeah. They really drive their cars. It ain't, you know, it was just in Goodwood. And, you know, it rains like every single day. And, like... If you aren't comfortable driving your sports car in the rain in England, like you just can't drive a sports car. Yeah. It's a totally different mindset. Even spiders or convertibles. Yeah. You you drive in the rain. Yeah. It's just, it, it's not like, yeah, it's like that part that's partially like, okay, not rocket science, but in California, like we have the option, we leave the car at home. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, you know, like weeks in advance, it's going to rain. You plan your around that. Um, so last night you told me a little bit about um, how you got into the, the car industry, and now I'm going to make you tell it again, uh, you know, about, about how you got that first internship at BMW. Because basically, like, I'm the CEO of a car company here, or at least the biggest region of a car company. How does someone end up there? That's a pretty crazy job. It is. That's a pretty, ins- and, and of a, a very prestigious car company as well. I mean, uh, and so... I remember you told me about 
you, you wanted to work for BMW. That was your dream when you were a kid. So how did you turn that into reality and then go past it? Yeah. No, so I um, always loved cars growing up. Used to go to the Jacob Jav in, in, in New York City uh, with my father. And I was that annoying kid that would read you know, the car magazines at the breakfast table. And uh, when I was able to drive, I had an opportunity to drive an E30 uh, BMW. And I just fell in love with the way uh, the car handled and uh, just did some research about the company and uh, naively thought, OK, I, I need to work uh, for that company that, that's building these why, driving I mean, machines. Why do you say naively? It's not necessarily. I mean, I, I guess looking back and, and knowing how many planets needed to align, how, how difficult that was, uh, I, I simplified it right. you know, as, as, as a kid. That, okay, but that's but, it was, what I but the goal do. was just, I need to work there. You didn't yes. say, I need to run it. No, it was yeah. just, I, I just wanted to work there. Uh -huh. It didn't matter okay. what that was. And I was in my, my last year at college and you know, did that six week European road what, trip. What did you study in college? So it was, I did a double major in international studies and international management and then minored in German and in history. Oh, okay. So you actually kind of set that up. Yes. I mean, you, 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 those seem like the kind of things you would want to be somewhat proficient in to go work for, a, for an automaker. Yes. And was that intentional? It was. Okay. It was. All right. Yes. Cool. But and not an engineer. No. Not a, you didn't want to design the cars. You didn't care about the hardware inside the cars as much. It was about management of the company? Yes, correct. Okay. okay. And I, I was really an enthusiast and, uh, and loved, loved the cars, loved, loved the brand. But um, yeah, so it was more from a, a business perspective versus sure. a mechanical perspective. Right, okay. So yeah, and you, got, you went on this road trip in Germany. Yes. And then I, uh, I'm in Munich, that was one of the stops. So I just rock up at, at BMW and uh, I, I asked, uh, where, where's HR? Got a contact. And, in uh, person? In person. Knock on yes. the door. Yes. How old are you? 41. You're, I'm 41. And I hear about the people that have done that kind of thing to get jobs, usually from people that are like 10 to 15 years older than us, <laughs> uh -huh. you know? I don't know anyone my age who has been able to knock on a door and not seem like a stalker and get, you know, granted it was like, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, but yeah. it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would work in the modern world. Yeah. I think you could do that. If, could, so, if somebody went to the MTC <laughs> and walked into reception, the desk next to the Senna F1 car, and they said, excuse me, where's the HR department? <laughs> what would happen to that person? Um, well, no, they would be very kind, obviously, and I, I think they, they would also receive a number and email address okay. to, to write to it, and ultimately that's what I did. I, I received uh, the details of one of the HR reps and, and I applied, Yeah. and then um, I came back and randomly received an email um, inviting me uh, to apply to an internship, and I had two choices, either in person or over the phone. And at the time, my German was very rusty, so I thought, okay, if I, if I do a telephone interview, there's no way that this is going to work out. So I, I let them know that I'll do it in person, but somehow that didn't translate or uh, they, they didn't realize that. So um, at the time of the interview, I show up in person, and, and first they're you know, surprised that I'm there in person, and, and the first thing they said was, oh, well, you know, we can't compensate you for this trip. And I yeah. just thought, yeah, no, I'm not. That's fine. I'm not asking yeah, yeah. you to compensate me. And um, yes, yeah, so I had the interview and they said, you know, we'll reach out in two weeks. And 
that evening they called me and they said, look, we have an idea. We have the six month project. We need to develop a business case to present to the board, but it's, it's only for six months. Would you be interested? Mm -hmm. And of course I said, yeah. What was, the, what was the business case? So it was merchandising and lifestyle. So oh, it was okay. essentially their you know, merchandising yeah. lifestyle. So everything from miniatures through to sunglasses. So really everything outside of the car. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like a 10 year plan of, of growth okay. that they were looking at. So what you got, and so you, you, you got that gig and then you were able to stay. Yeah, so I, yeah, within a few weeks, I, I graduated and really two weeks later, I'm, I'm in Munich. Um, and then I was, I was fortunate in that while I was there, a position opened up and then I was able to transition into the company. What was that, what was that position? So it was, project management of all of those products. But okay. the interesting thing there was they were looking at those products the same way they looked at, at the cars. So uh -huh. the, you know, whether it was a BMW bicycle, it had to go through the same development process as the cars. So were you like, okay, I, 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 it, took me, it did not actually take me very long to get a job at BMW but I'm, I'm overseeing sunglasses. Yeah. And, and you're like, something has gone wrong, but something else has gone right. And how do I, how do I steer this back to the, to the cars? Yes, and, and that was also a lot of it being in the right place at the right time. So the, the foundation that I learned there was product and project management mm -hmm. all by, not for cars. Yeah. And the financial side, side of things. Sunglass hut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then all of a sudden this opportunity came up, and, and I thought I would stay in Munich forever, right? Uh, but this opportunity came up to go to Rolls-Royce. And as, as you know, BMW acquired the rights. Right, uh, this to was Rolls-Royce. Four, three, four. went when it really and, launched. Yeah. Uh, but at the, when, when BMW acquired the rights, and that's a really interesting story into itself, um, they didn't have a workforce, they didn't have a car, they didn't have a factory, so all of that was, was, was built up. So we always joked at the time that Rolls was a 100-year-old startup company. Yeah. Um, so this opportunity came up, and before I knew it, five weeks later, I was in Goodwood um, looking after the America's market from a, from a headquarter perspective, so looking at you know, sales planning, production planning. You're like 23? Yes. Wow. That's a that's like pretty high level for a yeah. twenty three year old. Looking back on it, you're like, why did the, why did I have this job? At yeah, it was it was crazy. It was yeah uh, yeah. Like I was I was like, I, I nobody would have given me of anything any level of any responsibility <laughs> at twenty three years old. Like nothing. Like I shouldn't and I, nor should they have. And you're like managing like the hoity toityest brand in car history. You know, for some of the most ridiculously demanding customers. Yes. Very funny. And so, and you were there for a while. Yeah, so I was there for a few years, uh, loved it, and then uh, built up a really good relationship with the U.S. team. So after just over two years, then relocated uh, to Rolls-Royce Motor Cars North America as uh, heading up sales operations for the market. Okay. And then eventually transitioned into a general manager role looking after the eastern uh, region within the U.S. Okay. So big, heavy luxury cars, uh, certain type of customer, old money or very new money, right? And 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 now McLaren, uh, also kind of a startup, I guess. We we don't really think of it that way, but ten years ago it definitely was, or thirteen years ago. Um, what did you see in in that brand that made it appealing to go 
work there. Yes. So was was with the group, BMW group for 17 years, and then um, I was speaking with McLaren for quite some time. But ultimately, because it was a very difficult decision to leave the BMW group, but ultimately it was driven by uh, three main things. So number one, I, I did have an opportunity to connect with a lot of the people that, that worked at McLaren and just to feel uh, their passion and excitement around the brand. And that's not to say that that doesn't exist elsewhere in automotive, but that, that was a driving force. Then, of course, the products. And um, going back to why I, I fell in love with, with automotive and BMW in the first place was the, the driving element. Mm -hmm. And the, the fact that that's just the core uh, competence of, of McLaren and uh, how the, the vehicles are designed. Right. And, um, you know, you've, you've heard this, this, you know, we're, we're really the only manufacturer that is, is a race team that's building road cars. Uh, and then the third element was really the fact that McLaren is incredibly entrepreneurial. Uh, and, and once a company reaches a certain size, inevitably, um, it, it's more difficult to be agile. Right. And, uh, and McLaren is very, very entrepreneurial and, and very agile as a business that, that's laser focused on building hypercars and supercars. Was it, was it driving one? Like literally, was it driving a McLaren? You went, oh, this is, this is the thing I want to be a part of? Or was it I, seeing I didn't, the factory yes. or talking to engineers or what? It, it's speaking with engineers, going to the factory. Uh, I, I didn't have the opportunity to actually drive a McLaren until I, until I joined. Oh, really? Um, but uh, re really understanding where the brand was and, of course, you know, immersing myself in, in what uh, you know, enthusiasts and what, what the experts were saying about the car. You like racing? I, I wish I could do it more. Yeah. So I, I, I love spending time on the track, but by no means. I, I, I meant, as a, I meant more expert. as a fan, uh, as a fan oh, of okay. Formula One or anything like that. Yeah, but so. Uh, certainly I'll get to your driving resume. <laughs> <laughs> no, so I've always been a big Formula One fan through the 90s. Okay, yes. cool. So the, the interesting thing to me about um, McLaren is that you are in a very unique position now where you're really the last car company not building anything but sports cars. I mean, you've got little, you know, you've got like Caterham and stuff like that, but like, yes. but in terms of a company that builds thousands of cars a year globally, you're it. Everyone, Lotus and Aston Martin and Ferrari, and Bentley and Lamborghini, they've all got a crossover. They've all, they're, they're blending these genres of cars and, you know, working their way towards an egg. <laughs> um, and, and yet here you guys are, and all the cars are carbon tub. All, they're all supercars. There's no regular cars or crossovers. How long can you sustain that? Yes. Now we're, we're fortunate with, with our shareholders that are fully commit, committed to the vision of the company. And the great thing is also the, the customer base that we have. Uh, which, which is very focused on performance driving, on, on the love of driving, whether that's on track or uh, during a rally like the, the one that uh, you, you joined us on. Now, in terms of when we look to the future, uh, the, the core element that we'll always need to embrace as a brand is that anything we do in the future has to be true 
uh, to the brand, and you mentioned some of those things, like the carbon tub, the, the laser focus on, on driving and drivability. Uh, but we, we also need to understand that we, we do need to uh, listen to customers and uh, see what options are out there. And, uh, I mean, are there, are there customers who are saying, you know, I'd love to get a McLaren crossover daily. I'd love to see your take on mm -hmm. this other genre of car. There, there are many, many desires and wishes out there. Um, and, and that's the great thing. We, we're fortunate that we can have those direct conversations uh, with customers and uh, we're able to get feedback yeah. from them in terms of what, what their vision is, is for the brand. I, I, I don't personally like, <clears throat> I don't blame the companies that, that do that. And most of the very high performance crossovers that I drive are objectively good vehicles. You know, it's like the, the, you, you drive an Urus, and it's not that it's the Lamborghini I expected, but it's very fast, it's very comfortable, it has design elements that it shares. Um, but it's, it seems to me that in a lot of cases, like platform sharing allows that kind of stuff. And, and you guys don't have that. You, you, I mean, you, you, have, you share you know, a tub sort of across some model yeah. lines sometimes, but it's not like you, know, you're, you can work off of uh, you know, the X5 or, or something. So um, it would be interesting to see your take on it if there was such a thing as a carbon tub crossover or whatever. But um, in terms of just your personal preference, do you, would you, given, given free reign, would you say, no, we should really keep this sort of a pure thing. Definitely keeping it a pure thing. Um, however, as, as a brand, as, as we look to the future, we need to be open to at least uh, look at various options. Now, that's, that's one option, but there are a lot of other options as well, yeah. right? Um, but that's not to say that we will go into that direction or not. I, I think we just need to be realistic and say, okay, we will investigate different, different concepts, different formats, but ultimately, whether or not we choose to go into that direction, that's, that's a different uh, story. Yeah. How is the government and media ecosystem push towards electrification driving your future product line? I mean, I, I don't, I have very little interest in an electric McLaren. I like the Artura. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's a smart use of a hybrid system, and 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 it manages to still fill very very good, and 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 I get why that such a, that thing exists. But like, do you have any interest in an electric McLaren? So you, you bring up a great point with with the Artura, and you can look back to P1, P1 as yeah. well. And you know, for us, it was very important to say yes, we're we're, we're coming out with a high performance. A hybrid vehicle, but it's not simply for the sake of having a hybrid. It needs to make sense and it needs to fit to the core of the brand where everything we do, it's really about enhancing uh, performance. And Artura is a great example of that where, uh, yes, it is great. I, I, I use it all the time when, you know, don't want to wake up my neighbors. So Yeah, I, I use it at a hundred. The EV <laughs> mode, you use it a hundred yards at a time, pretty much. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. It can go into, you know, uh, go home without waking everyone up, but at the same time you have that instant torque fill, uh, which, which is great. So for us, as, as we look to the future, of course we need to be mindful of government uh, regulations. We 
we have to be aware of, of perception. Uh, but at the same time, if, if and when we introduce things, it, it needs to be the right time, right? And we also have not given up on looking at other alternatives as, as well. The, you know, we were just at the, at the quail yesterday, and I counted, I think, six EV hypercars that are knocking on the door of 2,000 horsepower, mm -hmm. silent. And I bet you, because I've driven a couple of them, that they all are pretty much the same, you know? Um, but when I get in a McLaren, uh, any McLaren, and I start it, it immediately has a certain feel. Now it could be because you have familial engines that vibrate a certain way and rev a certain way. But, you know, what can a company like yours do to maintain the character of that car without the character of that engine? That's got to be a real problem. Yes. So right now, and that's also why you currently don't have uh, an EV McLaren, is that, uh, as, as you know, for us, lightweight engineering is key. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at Artura, we went through you know, significant investments to make sure that the vehicle, yes, it's, it's a hybrid, but it's also a light. Yeah, 3,300 mm -hmm. yes. pounds and change. Exactly. It's very light. Yes, so w within that segment, it's the, the lightest vehicle by far. But in general, battery technology is, is not at that level uh, to produce a supercar, a hypercar, the way we envision it. Mm -hmm. So that, that's a core tenant of our product strategy is that we are not going to go into segments until we can build a true uh, McLaren. And that's also why we're not uh, marching into one direction, but we're looking at multiple yeah. um, scenarios of, of how we develop the product plan going forward. Mm -hmm. What do you see as like the... Do you think a company like yours would ever seek a more affordable car? I mean, I know it's actually, it's harder to build, you know, $30,000, $100,000 cars mm -hmm. than, than 300, you know, million dollar cars. Yes. Um, and there are enough billionaires and whatever, as we discussed at dinner last night, and, and, and enough of these hot, hardcore enthusiasts obscenely rich people, that if every car company just decided to do these very limited runs of ludicrously expensive cars, they could sell, everyone could sell the same car to the same hundred people, you know, a couple of times a year, and that would be a business, but I don't think that's very good for the world, mm -hmm. and not for car enthusiasts, and not for people who make videos about cars that, that in theory people should be able to buy. So, you know, do you think that McLaren could it ever be in be interested in doing a car that would could be compared to a Cayman or an Alpine or something that's a little bit more of a of an everyman's taste of what you guys do, or is that just is the reality that there's just no business case for something like that? 
Folks, got to take a quick break for our sponsor, NASCAR. It's playoffs time for the NASCAR Cup Series. The quest for a championship begins at historic Darlington Raceway, where 16 of the sport's most talented drivers will be tested like they've never been tested before. The competition has never been more intense, with this season being NASCAR's 75th anniversary. Drivers will have to empty the tank if they plan to survive the infamous Lady in Black and put themselves in a position to advance to the round of 12. Enjoy your Labor Day weekend by inviting over the whole crew and turning into the first race of what is expected to be one of the most unforgettable NASCAR playoffs in history. The NASCAR Cup Series playoffs begin Sunday, September 3rd at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on USA is the reality that there's just no business case for something like that. So there's, there's no plan uh, that, that we have to do that. The, the other, I, I guess there's the philosophical question, right? And um, then there's also the uh, capacity perspective. And um, at MPC, we, you know, our volume is somewhere between 4,000 to 5,000 units per year. Mm -hmm. um, so both from a philosophical perspective and from a uh, just capacity perspective yeah. that wouldn't be possible. Yeah, I mean you could have like a manufacturing partner like a, like, you know, like a Magna Steyr or one of those people, but I don't, I'm not gonna tell you your business. I just would like, I'm curious if, pe if people that are in your position ever go, well how, you know, it never, se it never seems like anything moves down market. Mm -hmm. It seems like things only ever move up market. And so I'm, I'm just looking at the landscape of, of there being fewer and fewer affordable or, and reasonably affordable cars every year uh, to choose from. And people, um, you know, the people who watch my videos and send me emails are getting visibly frustrated with that. Um, you know, I'll make a video with a $300,000 supercar and another car nobody can afford. Mm -hmm. and, and I actually, I sympathize. I want to go drive the car, you know, I'm conflicted. I want, to, I want some seat time, see what it's about. Um, and I do want the people who might be interested in buying it to know what I think about it. But I understand the frustrations of people because that market is shrinking. Yes. And it would be cool if someone who is, you know, building higher end and very lightweight cars felt the urge to step in and, and serve them something. Where, where do you see that sweet spot from, from the app? Well, in terms of like what my audience is looking for, it's like 75 to 100 mm -hmm. grand, sub 3,000 pounds, or, or you know, in that area, you know, 400, 400, 500 horsepower, engaging to drive. Mm -hmm. That would really be a, a Cayman GT4 competitor or a, 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 a um, Lotus Amira competitor would be kind of like what I'm talking about there. Yes. I guess it's not happening. <laughs> no, I, I would say I think larger uh, brands that have higher volumes, they mm -hmm. can, you know, have have different segments that they address. Yeah. Um, if if you look at any, I'll call it boutique or, or smaller, especially independent manufacturer, it, it does come down to economies of, of scale. Right. At, at some stage, and especially if you're as a brand always striving to produce the, the pinnacle uh, track machine uh, or pinnacle hypercar or supercar, uh, then that, that's just something that 
you know, can't be achieved under yeah. a certain threshold. Start factoring in yes. a real cost thing. And yes. It's like, well, that makes it less good. So what do you, you know, you but guys what, are, so, you know. Sorry, what, what I would say is, is that if you mentioned that um, kind of, call it $125,000, $150,000 segment, what, what we do, of course, offer is our certified pre-owned uh, program, Way which, which has, no, which, which has been uh, quite uh, successful, and, and that is genuinely a great entry point uh, in, into the brand, and it's something that we, we take uh, very seriously. And um, you know, from from a value proposition, you, you can find some really cool McLaren products um, out there. Sure. The um, the um, what was I just going to ask? The oh yeah, when you're building cars that that really are you know cutting edge technology stuff, and they are. They're the 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 performance is amazing. You know the the materials science, the stuff you guys do with glass. You know, the, the buttresses on the 720 Spider I'm driving or the doors in the Senna. And, you know, when I go to these launches and I hear, uh, I hear uh, when the, I talk to the engineers and they go, well, someone then said, well, why don't we make the buttresses out of glass? And then they said, well, you can't do that. Why can't you? And that, that ends mm -hmm. up being a, a feature. But when you're on that cutting edge, reliability can be an issue. And in, the, that, in McLaren's past, you know, they have a reputation for gremlins. And, you know, it's a new car company, especially in the beginning with the 12Cs and stuff, and, and they sort of shot the moon on certain things that didn't really work out, like the swipey door handles, which apparently have some sort of collectible value. The, swipe, <laughs> the, the swipey door handles one. We'll see if that holds up for 50 years. But, um, you know, what, what do you see as the real, now that you've proven you can make a car that goes really fast, how do you then, okay, let's, let's make a car that really works. Yes. How, how do you see that as like a solvable problem? So I'll, I'll come back to, if, if, you, if you think about what the brand has achieved in, you know, let's call it 11 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously the history goes back 60 years, but right. it's automotive. I mean, it, it's incredible. You know, look yeah. at 12C, then P1 um, right. and, and everything which has come since then. And uh, as, as I highlighted earlier, one of the reasons why I joined was you know, a race car building uh, road cars. And of, of course, as, as a racing team, it's constant innovation. It, it's moving very, very quickly. But as we are now transitioning into this uh, second decade as automotive, and, and this is also why Michael Leiters, our new CEO, is inspiring so much confidence. And with his background as an engineer and the brands that he previously worked with, um, quality is the number one focus. Um, so the, the comforting thing is, is that this is recognized throughout the entire organization. Um, and it's not just saying this and, and you know, as, as words, you know, we are taking these actions. And well, you guys, you guys bought back a bunch of Arturas and had to, had to fix them. We, yes, we, we paused um, <laughs> because we were not happy with, uh, with where um, some of the quality was. Um, again, we're taking it very seriously and uh, we're, we're looking forward to ramping up production again next month. Is that a, is, is it, you know, 
like, is it dealing with traditional suppliers in the way that other OEMs are, or is it is it is it hard cut because you guys have you make your own stuff? You know, is it is it just like little stupid things? I mean, you know, what? Like, why does it why does it seem to go wrong at that level? Is it just a volume thing or handmade thing? Like, I don't know. I legitimately yes. don't know. Now, if we look at Artura, that really everything on that vehicle is is brand new. It's our I think Roger always calls it you know, our our moonshot, mm -hmm. um, and that that's really what it boils down to. So much new innovation, and uh, that's why we said now, okay, there are a few things that we didn't like and that we weren't happy with, with some of those uh, initial deliveries. So we said, okay, let's pause, let's focus on that, get it right, and then uh, ramp up production once again. Is it, is it way harder than most people think to build a hybrid car? I would say, I would say yes. Really? I mean, uh, even because uh, you, you, you had a hybrid car, you had P1 and other hybrid tech, you know, Prius has been out since 1997. I know it's not exactly the same thing, but, but it's, not, it, it, it's not a brand new technology. Um, so, yeah, why is, it so, why is it so hard to get that right? When you look at a vehicle where really every aspect of it is, is cutting edge, um, it's, you know, there, there will be, or there will be, uh, you'll potentially see some gremlins, as, as you mentioned. I, I think it's then really how, how one addresses that. Mm -hmm. um, and if you address it proactively, speak openly with, with customers about it, fix it quickly, um, and then also make sure that any of those updates, you know, cascade down through the entire production process. That, that's really uh, the key thing. Yeah. And as we look to the future, it's also you know, making sure that everything is in place, that um, you know, this, this improves going forward. One thing that I, that, that, I mean, that you guys do, that other, other quote, startup car companies don't do, or don't do is satellite connections, satellite radio, satellite GPS, CarPlay, and Android Auto. Um, versus using some sort of proprietary system or cell phone-based GPS. Um, is, that, is that a super important thing to keep, to keep going on and, and, and not abandon those systems for 4G and for a proprietary phone connection? Is that, do you think about that kind of stuff? So you, you mean if it's important to offer things like Android Auto, yeah, Apple yeah. CarPlay? Yes, and satellite yes. And satellite GPS? Yes. It's, it's crazy that people don't, isn't it? Yes. Well, I, I understand why uh, some don't go down that path, but um, clearly from a, from a customer, our customers, that, that's what they want, and that's incredibly important to have yeah. Apple CarPlay, to have Android Auto, and, and to have those features. Well, and doesn't it help you guys? Because if someone's using CarPlay, like, that's, a, that's an interface that is familiar to them. They don't have to yes. learn a new one, and it's, it's, uh, your eyes are on the road better rather than trying to fumble with something else. Correct. Yeah. The, um, my favorite thing about really all your cars, maybe not the LTs, which are, which are crazy, but that's not, and I'm not trying to say I don't like them, but I think the thing that you guys do the best, better than anybody, 
is extreme performance that is balanced out mm -hmm. with a shocking level of comfort. Um, I've now done 740 miles as of today in your car um, in the last week, since Tuesday, since in five days, which is a ton of miles. Yes. And that car is so comfortable, it is so usable, it's got a big trunk, great air conditioning, um, the seats are awesome, and that the performance is insane. It's on regular tires, it's not on some slicks. And, and I sold you last night at dinner, I don't, I don't want a McLaren as a weekend car, I just want it as my car. I, I would have, I'd have another car for the weekends and I would drive this thing you know, every day. Um, and at the same time, the LTs are extremely hardcore and throw a lot of that out the window. <laughs> um, so what do, you, what do you like about, you know, what, where is your taste within this product line? Do you want, do you like these cars hardcore or do you like these cars balanced? So I, and, and we were having this conversation, so I, I really fell in love with the 620R, which yeah. is... It's a very hardcore. Yeah, it's, it's a hardcore GT4 yeah. for the road, but I mean, I, I would take that car to, to Trader Joe's to go shopping. I've taken it on, on rallies, um, even figured out a way to get my, my Garmin bag behind the, the seat and attach it to the harness. Um, but I would say, as a, so currently my, my daily is the Artura, which, which I adore because it's, like, like you said, it, it's a car that if, if you want, you can drive it in a very civilized, mm -hmm. comfortable manner. But um, if, if you want to take it to the track or want to uh, be more spirited, you, you can absolutely do that. So it's almost this kind of Jekyll and Hyde uh, approach. Mm -hmm. I, I have proposed that several companies could make a lot of extra cash by doing limited edition manual transmission vehicles. Do you think that's the kind of thing that, uh, that you would be interested in pursuing? Or is it against the ethos of the company? That's a great question. So if, if you're asking me as, uh, or, or personally, so I, I love manual transmission cars. Um, now, if, if you're asking from a, from a company perspective, so each, each car needs to have a, a purpose, right? And from a McLaren perspective, it's about building and manufacturing uh, purpose-built vehicles that are, you know, if you take something like the Senna, like a, a track beast, right? Um, where you're looking for lap times, and at, at the end of the day, um, you know the, the transmissions that we have yeah. uh, allow us to sure. reach. But then you've got the Elvis, which Roger hilariously referred to to me as a boulevard cruiser, <laughs> which at twenty eight hundred pounds and eight hundred horsepower is a very comical thing to think about about that car. But but what I do love about the Elva, and I'm not sure people can appreciate about the Elva that has haven't driven it, is that it is. It is one of the only McLarens that can be maximally enjoyed mm -hmm. at less than bonsai speeds. You drive an Elva up a winding road at five tenths and it is absolutely incredible because it feels like you're flying. Yes. 
and that's a sensation car more than it is a car for lap times, although I, it probably would be fast if you ran it around a track. So if you, if McLaren, instead of saying, well, we want to build a, a lap time car, we want to build an engagement car that is maximally engaging under all conditions, right? That could be a, a focus. What do you think, or not? Not to turn the question around on you, but do, I think it would be cool. Do you I think it'd be awesome. There's space in the. One hundred percent. Gordon Murray's selling T50s with a stick for two million bucks. You know, I, I, th I think I think there's there's companies here in America charging tens of thousands of dollars to convert Ferraris to manual, um, and and uh, even you know you like you like BMWs. I mean, people pay tons of money. To have that SMG gearbox, that was cutting edge. You know, they have they ripped that thing yeah. out. They put a stick. I sent my Aston Martin back to England to have a stick put in it at the factory. So I mean, I think that it is a small but very enthusiastic customer base. And I think that if you know, there was a limited run of manual transmission McLarens, and they they just said, who cares what the lap time is? This is fun. I think you'd sell them, and I think you can make a lot of money doing it. I mean, I don't know, I don't know how the rest of the board of directors, yeah. you know, feels about that, but like, I would certainly like it. And it's a car that, you know, manuals, as as you well know, are pretty immune to aging. There's a permanence to it. Yes, that's true. You know, like the the the, the first gen PDK versus this, or the 12C gearbox versus what's in a 765. You know, time marches on, and and that stuff ages like a computer. But a stick is always this. It's permanent. It's nice. kind of nice. There is some history. Sure. M6 GT. Yeah, yeah. If you wanted to go, if you wanted to go, uh, Can Am vibes. There is a way. There's a way to do that. Do you see the thing that Lotus did at uh, the Quail yesterday? I, I did not get a chance to. Lotus to go there. Uh, apparently there's some Colin Chapman drawings of a Lotus Can Am car. Uh, that never got built, and they found it, and they dug it out, and they built. They're building ten. Can they're like Can-Am cars, with carbon fiber bodies, Roush Ford, you know, racing engines and sequential gearboxes, and they're all a million dollars, and they're all sold. It's crazy. Um, so, if how much how much faster can we make cars? <laughs> I mean, at a certain point. Uh, we're out of you know we're out of talent right you've got this soulless thing now which is it is a McLaren but it's also not it's a McLaren it's a McLaren it's a McLaren yes it's a track track only right McLaren right and and so is the, I mean are, are, are the people who can afford these things good enough drivers to have them I said this to Aston Martin about the Valkyrie I think it's dumb because nobody who can afford it can actually drive it that's, it's, it's a great point you bring up in terms of when you look at speed, when you look at horsepower. And, and it's definitely our philosophy that we, we don't want to get into this endless horsepower um, race. Because really, at, at the end of the day, it's about how you, how you feel driving the car. Mm -hmm. uh, our customers want that visceral, engaging experience, that the one that puts that smile on your face that you just can't wipe off. Um, so that, that's really the core. So for us, looking ahead to the future, it's how do we continue building these visceral machines? Uh, one, one clear 
component of that will continue to be lightweight engineering, but we're definitely looking at other other options as well. Yeah, like you're already you already make cars that are disturbing, it like disturbingly fast. I mean, I think I've I've done 700 miles in this 720 this week. I think I've hit the floorboard twice, mm -hmm. like, and. You just—it's just—it's just so fast. Like, and and, and it's at a certain point, it's um, you, you just can't go go any faster. Um, so I I just wonder where it uh, where it ends. And it's not that I don't like going fast. I, I like going fast. Um, but at a certain point, you just—you know—we've got we've got cars. Just, I think there was three or four cars at the quail yesterday that do zero to sixty in the ones. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, um, we're, we're running out of numbers to do zero to six. It's like, it seems- Which would have seemed unthinkable. It seems trite, you know, trite. You know I, I know it's dumb, like, yeah, like people, people were talking about, you know, when the Dodge Viper did it zero to 60 and four one, like it was tearing your face off. It's like charmingly silly now, but one is awfully close to zero. <laughs> so like, what are we, what are we doing here? <laughs> Is it is it is it is it our fault? Is it the media's fault for putting it on the cover when it hits a new number? And we should stop doing that. No, I, I, no, it's not. It's not your fault. I mean, ultimately, that that's what excites um, everyone, right? It's um, and it's it's fun and it's fascinating, you know, breaking, you know, records and things like that. But um, and, and that's why it's really going to become more about. And it is today, but even more about feeling, how you feel, the engagement. And, and there's still a lot that, that can be done there moving forward. Different technologies, how we navigate the, the, new, the new normal, um, how we navigate government regulations and things like that. Mm -hmm. Is there, how important is it that your cars are two-wheel drive? It's, it's very important. Um, ultimately, it's all about feeling. And uh, what, one of the things I, I love about the brand is the fact that we've stuck with hydraulic steering. Mm -hmm. It um, is the best. Because from my perspective, you can't. And, and look, others have done a you know, really good job. Um, others haven't. But um, nothing can replace that direct connection between it's not just that it's hydraulic, it's the, the, pro How it's, the programming, yeah, programming of it, the ratios are really good, the steering wheel is yes. round. Yes. Can you believe people think that there's something better than a circle yeah. for something that spins around and around? It's crazy, yeah. right? That's, that's, just, that's just not good at all. Um, well, what, I mean, what do you, what do you think we, we the media, we the enthusiasts, we the customers, what, what don't we understand, or what do we misunderstand about what you guys do? Why, what do we give you shit about that is undeserved? I, we, we're an organization that, that thrives off of direct feedback. Um, so I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say that there's anything that's been unfair. Um, I mean, you've, you've brought up some of the uh, gremlins of the past, and there's nothing wrong with direct feedback. Um, we, we need it to improve. At the end of the day, we're, um, one of the reasons why we've been as successful as we have been is because 
we are agile and, and can respond uh, quickly without really any bureaucracy um, in terms of customer feedback or, or media feedback. So um, I, I don't think there's any real confusion about where McLaren sits. Mm -hmm. um, do you do you feel that there are elements that may have been unfair or things that are misunderstood? Well, I mean, do I? Not really. I mean, I, I, I've had people say to me, you say, you know, because I love the 720. Op openly and unashamedly, I've driven five or six different ones, and I love them. Done track days and road trips and all kinds of stuff in them, and I just think they're the best. Um, but I've had people who have bought them based on my impressions. Mm -hmm. And they go, you know, this, this, this car has given me a bunch of problems. And I go, and I go well, uh, it didn't break when I had it. You know, like, I, what am I supposed to, you know, and, and they, they expect me to, um, you know, say, you say whatever their experience is, is, you know, and anecdotally. And I don't know what percentage of them break and in what ways they break. Like, I don't, I don't have that data. So I, I think I, I've been kinder than critics want me to be in terms of that kind of stuff. But at the same time, like, I haven't personally experienced those types of issues, so I can't really speak to what your anecdote and your anecdote mean for the bigger picture. Yes. Um, so I, 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 I think I've been as honest as I can be. I don't know. Yeah. I like the cars, yes. I do. And the ones that I like less, I've been pretty honest about why that is. I'm not a big fan of the 620R, personally. I just don't fit in it that well. Okay. It's not, it's, I think the thing that you guys, part of what, what you guys do best is that magic suspension that is in the seven series cars. And I know not everybody can afford a seven series car, and so it's good to have something below that. But that ability to go from comfort to, mm -hmm. to track and really have there be an enormous difference in how the car rides is, that's magic stuff right there. That's good stuff. So that's what I like. Yeah. But, and I like our And, and that's, yeah. That, that's why I love the, uh, the, the 620R, because there was, there was no mistaking which, which oh, yeah. car you're in. As, as soon as you uh, turn the car on, the vibrations, the, the yeah. sound of the roof scoop um, was was incredibly raw, but no, I, I, I get it. It's um, it, it doesn't have that uh, breath that, was, uh, that sure. the uh, that the seven twenty has. That's just. I mean, I think it's harder to it's harder to do that wide envelope of of ability and still have the car feel really good than it is to build a race car and put a license plate on it. Yes. And my I, is it harder to do that? It is. Or is it harder to build a race car and put a license plate on it? It's getting, getting that, that balance and having the transitions uh, be seamless, that, that's definitely more, mm -hmm. more of a challenge. I'll, I'll touch on the, the, the quality aspect. I mean, part of uh, this, this rapid progression over the last 11 years is that uh, sometimes the organization uh, maybe hasn't kept up. and. and we, we take that very seriously. So one example is, is that over the last two years, we've also scaled the business. Now, speaking specifically about here uh, in, in the U.S. and in the Americas, where we've increased um, the team here by 50%, and, and that's largely in the uh, technical service and after-sales space. Uh, 
because at, at the end of the day, any mechanical machine has the potential of having uh, an issue. Uh, and, and this goes back to the, the key thing is really how quickly do you address that? So mm -hmm. we've brought in more technicians, more mechanics. We've, we've beefed up client services and beefed up the regional after sales teams to be able to support uh, the network, but ultimately uh, customers should anything happen just, just to give them that peace of mind. Do you guys, how do you guys feel and I mean, I understand if you can't or don't want to answer, but how do you guys feel about the aftermarket for these cars? Um, Ferrari, for instance, will like sue you, <laughs> you know, if you change your car. And, and, and Ferrari clients don't typically modify their cars. It's not something they do. Whereas Porsche clients, must Ford clients, and, and McLaren clients um, are much more comfortable modifying their cars. Um, do you guys talk about that kind of stuff? Do you, do you, um, you know, how, what is your, what is your relationship and back and forth like with the aftermarket? Yes. So we, we do, we do speak about it and, and it is, it is challenging. And, uh, the, the challenge is really, if, if you look at a McLaren at, at the level of which it is built as an incredibly technical, sophisticated, innovative car. When uh, a third party comes in, and not taking away from them, um, you know, brilliant minds there and incredibly uh, professional, but still, it's a, it's a third party uh, that's coming in, modifying the car. Our biggest concern with that is, is safety, uh, because these vehicles have been uh, rigorously tested um, you know, heat testing, cold weather testing, uh, countless uh, laps on track just to make sure that everything is perfect. Um, and, and that's why um, you know, warranties do get voided if, if changes are done. Mm -hmm. um, but I do have sympathy for someone wanting to customize uh, their vehicle and push it even further. Um, to that, I, I would say we do have opportunities in-house, like with our MSO uh, program, uh, but that's you know a different different conversation. But mm -hmm. but it is it is a tough one. It is a tough one. Yeah, it's it's tough because it it drives enthusiasm for the yes. brand, and you don't want someone to buy someone else's car yes. when they could have bought your car. Um, but the, the cars are engineered at a level where there's not much left on the table. Yes. You know, compared to a Mustang or yes. a, a 911 or something. And, and the challenge is, is getting, getting the vehicle um, you know, modified. The, the, the main problem is, is that we, you know, we're not aware of what's happening, right? We, we don't know exactly what's doing. They're not affiliated with, with McLaren. Right. So, um, the worst case is that something happens that's just not safe or hasn't been calibrated properly. Mm -hmm. So, but I, I, that's not really a McLaren issue per se, that, that's really across the industry. Sure, and, and that's, yeah, it's not, it's not remotely unique yeah. to you guys, it's just that you guys, you know, your tolerances are slimmer than other yeah. people's because they're, you're already starting at a, at a very high level. Yes. Yeah. The, um, you ever drive one in the snow? 
I have. Is it awesome? It's, it's incredible. It's honestly, um, it's one of the best experiences I've, I've ever had. I was fortunate enough to go to, to Finland the, this past February mm -hmm. uh, on this, this massive lake that had um, like different, different courses set up. And it's just pure ice and, and snow. Yeah. Um, Studs on tires? Yeah. Yeah. Have, have you done that? Yeah. yeah. It's rad. That's a blast. It's really, really yeah. fun. Yeah. And a car, a car with good on-road dynamics should yeah. also have good loose surface. Oh, that's phenomenal. Yeah. It takes you a second to kind of get used to the concept of uh, losing control in a controlled yeah. way. But, yeah. You know, it's what is so your, cool. what is what would you say your level of, of, of track driving experience is? Not enough. Uh -huh. Not enough. No, I, I, I love being on track, but um, I, I need to pry myself out of, uh, out of meetings and, and from behind the laptop. Um, Do they let you drive? They let you drive the prototypes and stuff to give your feedback? Yes. Yes. Do you have to get someone's permission to do it? Um, well, you, so when, when you join, you go through a series of um, licenses, uh -huh. uh, some McLaren internal yeah. licenses, and that then, um, you know, dictates, dictates if you will. What, what, and, what and how you yes, can drive yes, the cars? So yes. what, what level are you? So, no, I, I, I can go on track, okay. but I, I would say that in terms of actual like chassis development, there, there are experts for that. I'm definitely not. Uh, not the expert. Um, really. I know some of the engineers, they get real nervous when the suits drive the cars. Yes. You know, and sometimes they like straight up don't let them. Yes. But you're okay, you can get in the cars. Yeah, and, and really my job and, and the, the team's job at the end of the day in this market is really to, and that's also why, you know, things like this rally are so crucial, but this is just one component, right? But where our job is to take the, the feedback of our owners and and there you really have the entire spectrum right we we have hardcore track enthusiasts that are you know professional racers mm -hmm. um, through to uh, those customers that you know like to go to a track day now and again but you know are not competing um, through to customers that you know love to go on rallies and, and prefer street driving so we then consolidate that and really feed that back in to Woking, mm -hmm. uh, so that that's predominantly our role, and then also setting the framework up. Um, so, as an example for Artura, we did extensive testing uh, in the U.S. Uh, to make sure that whether it's Texas, Arizona, Southern California, or, or up to you know Quebec, Toronto, um, that that the car has been tested in, in a real life environment. Yeah. Speaking of that, what do you? I mean. What do you do? You guys see any uh, potential long-term, you know, battery? You know, or do you have concerns about these battery? It's not a huge battery pack in that car, but, but, um, you know, it's that's that seems to be a concern of a lot of people, mm -hmm. um, who you know they go, I, I want this car to last a really, really long time, and I'm I'm concerned because this very expensive, very big battery could be a major issue, and yeah. there was definitely. You know, there we there's known issues with um, with LaFerraris and P1s and stuff, and and those batteries can be very you know hundreds of thousands of dollars to replace. Yes. Um, and now that those cars are like ten years old, um, you know, how do you address stuff like that? Yeah. So so two main things. So going into Artura, understanding what some of those concerns might be. So the first thing was having. Uh, so we increased the warranty. So a five-year vehicle warranty, 
a six-year battery warranty, and then we also included, which, which was a first for McLaren at the time, uh, three-year uh, service included. Oh, okay. And then we do have extended service contracts that we can offer beyond that. Is that so that's a mile too. So that's uh, so the it, it does it does have a limit, but I would say I, I have never seen a car uh, go over that. And and having said that, uh, McLaren drivers drive more yeah. than the entire segment, so it's seventy five hundred miles per year on oh, average. Okay. So I would encourage. Yeah. I usually encourage people to buy new supercars and then really abuse those types of policies. Ferrari does like unlimited miles. It's like mm -hmm. you should call them out on that. You should you should put fifty thousand yeah. miles a year on this car if you can. Yeah. Why not? You know, seventy five hundred a year is pretty good. Yeah, that no, it's pretty good. good. And the cars yeah. they, they should be driven. Um, yeah. So that that's the one element. The other part of it is is that if you're in a position where you have to uh, replace the battery in the Artura, it's a very simple process. You can also uh, replace modules, and you know it, it'll be under six or seven grand to replace it if you're required to replace it. Oh, that's a lot better than yes. 150 or whatever yes. the P1 yes. battery so was. So no, we, we were very cognizant of that yeah. going into it. The, uh, um, does it frustrate you when people buy these cars and then are afraid to put miles on them for one reason or another? It's not very good for the cars. They don't tend to work very well if you don't drive them. Yeah. Frustrated would be would be harsh. So our our preference is that the cars are driven. Uh, that that's really what what they're there for. But um, I understand if, if someone. I mean, they're also beautiful. So I, I understand if uh, someone purchases the car and uh, has it as, as as a showpiece. But but clearly, uh, what what we want is for people to be engaged. Um, and and that's why also moving forward. Um, you know, we, we have programs in place now, but we want to do more of them. Um, Andy mentioned that, so you know, this the, the, the Pebble Beach Rally, Monterey Car Week Rally has really been been the highlight. But we want more, uh, more track days, more track uh, programs, more yeah. rallies. The people I met on this event are, were are not those people. These people are very excited to drive their cars. Some of them drive them a lot. Even the the, the P1s. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they drove, some guys drove from Texas, you know, there was people that did a, a whole pre-rally before yes. this rally, so I, it's definitely, um, uh, and in my experience, you know, I have a car storage business, so I know what cars go in and out and what cars mm -hmm. sit, and, uh, and the McLaren customers that, that I have, for the most part, do, do drive the cars, um, but I've also had a couple that have sat and they don't like that. <laughs> they're, they're, they're just, they, they start acting up when they yeah. sit. And everything does. I mean, you know, you let any car sit for a while and it starts acting up. Yeah. Clients like to run. They like to, they yeah. like to drive. Yeah. I mean, you should, I really think, like, that's why I say I want to have one and you just use it as my everyday car. It would probably be the best running car yeah. ever. Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing about these types of cars that, the, that your your brain first says you know keep it for special occasions, but you really shouldn't. No. Yeah. What do you What do you before we uh, before we let you go and get ready for tonight's party at a house somewhere? Um, you know what do you What do you think is the is the most important thing that 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 you want people to know about what McLaren is up to for the next few years? So it's a tough question. It's a tough it's question. A big, it's a big yes. question. 
So number one, uh, and, and you touched on this a bit, so we are exclusive, but purely because of the, the limited numbers that we can produce. But, but as a brand, we're, we're incredibly inclusive in terms of wanting to bring as many uh, people in, and whether that's owners, whether that's fans, whether that's enthusiasts, that's uh, really the most important thing for us, right? Um, yeah, one of the things that young people, I think, like about McLaren is it doesn't have the, the bullshit yeah. hoops. If you, if you have money, you can buy one. And it may take a little while, but you'll get your car. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's important. I don't think everyone has the tolerance for the mind games. Yes. And, and the other thing that I really love is that if, you know, if we look at the owner base, right, it, it doesn't matter if someone owns you know, one McLaren, if someone has a you know, pre-owned McLaren, if someone owns 20, um, the, the community is incredible and, and really embraces one another. And to your point, there's just no nonsense. It's, you buy a McLaren because you love driving, because you want to drive, because you, you know, appreciate the technology the innovation. So that, that's been really refreshing. And, you know, like weeks like this where, where you spend time and are fortunate enough to, to spend time with, with customers, with people that love cars. I mean, this, this isn't even people a People named Senna. Yes, pe people named Senna. Bruno rules. People named McLaren. That people named yeah. McLaren also. Yeah. Amanda's very nice. Ah, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. When they open that not a museum down there, yeah. I think we got we to gotta arrange. I, I, I've been nudging Roger about this. There's got to be a press launch for some product in New Zealand because the roads are just yes. amazing. And if, you know, just looking forward, these are exciting times for us. We have the right leadership in place, uh, exciting products to come, exciting innovations. But if, like, just, if California, and I don't think this will yeah. stand up, you know, they get all the headlines when they say no gas cars after 2035, and then they, they walk it back when they realize that's actually not tenable. But, you know, if, if your biggest market, your biggest state and your biggest market in the world says no more gas cars, what do you do? I don't want to start a whole lot of rumors or speculation here, but um, th there are other paths, right? Um, there, there are, and I mean from a technology perspective, right? Um, right. Hybrids, EVs, that's one direction, uh -huh. but there are, yeah. there are other Synthetic paths Synthetic fuel, well. maybe, hydrogen, hydrogen McLaren. Many, many, many yeah, different, lots of many options. different avenues, right. potential avenues, yeah. right? They'll run on coal, <laughs> steam, steam powered. McLaren, the uh, yeah, and 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 uh, let's let's leave with just one. Just we'll we'll build your we'll build your your cred. You have to build a garage, a daily driver, a sports car, and a race car. None of them can be McLarens. Ooh, no, any any price on for unlimited money, <laughs> any time period. Daily driver, sports car, race car. No McLarens allowed. No McLarens allowed. Okay, that that makes it that makes it tough. Um, the the car that I've always loved is uh, is and it would be the Euro version, but the the E the E thirty six M three. M three. It's a good one. Sedan manual, of course. Uh, three four five. The M three four five. Yes. Yes. Okay, that, that's a good one. That definitely. Um, 
So daily, you said daily. I said daily, weekend, and, and track. Yeah. Where does the, is that the daily? The M the yeah, E36 that, that, M3. That would be, that would be the daily. Uh -huh. Be a shame not not to daily. No, yeah, of course. Daily that car. Um, one of the air. One of the last uh, probably '97 or yeah '97 air cooled uh, 911s. Okay, 993. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a good one too. That's a good. That's a. That's a. That's a great. Great couple times a week car. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then, or actually, I'm, I'm going to switch my, my daily. I think I think the daily, the daily would have to be probably an uh, e, E39 M5. No, M5. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. That's a that's a fantastic daily. Okay, so we're keeping the M. So it's they, it's we, we need a race car. We need a race car. We need a track car. Yeah. The G GT3. Yeah. Good choice. Not the RS though, but because. Uh, Regular GT3. Yeah. That's a good choice. Yeah. 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 I think I think that I think your credibility is intact. Yeah. You you, you threw me with the uh, with not not McLaren because. Well, I had to get you out of the corporate <laughs> mindset. I can't I can't be like well a 720 for the yeah. daily and a 765 for the weekend yeah. and a 620 R for the track. That'd be boring. I, uh, I appreciate you taking the, uh, the time to hang out with me today and, and having me up here this week. Uh, McLaren uh, did give me a hotel room and a car in exchange for making a route and making all these rich people feel like they <laughs> should not drive like morons. Uh, so we should do more of that. We should. Uh, and, was, and thank you. The roots were incredible. Everyone had a blast. Yeah, it was a good, and it was a good I, time. I hope you had as much fun as we did. I it did. I awesome. enjoyed. It. I did enjoy it. I mean, it's it's definitely um, leading those types of events is something that I enjoy uh, doing. And uh, the fact that I got to do it in a, in a 720 is a is a bonus. I really like that car. I was originally supposed to have a 765, but they switched me last minute, and I was like, comfort seats, <laughs> yes. And it's actually going to work out because I need the regular tires to get home in the hurricane. I'm yeah, about that's to right. Drive. That's I'm right. About to drive through and the underwater testing. It is going to be. I won't do anything too stupid, but it's going to be an adventure getting home from here tomorrow. Thank you, Nick. No, Appreciate it. And, Always uh, a pleasure. And uh, we'll do it again uh, sometime. I'm sure. I Thank you guys for listening and watching, whatever it were. And I'll uh, see you next time. Bye.